I'm reminded of a scripture text that my, uh, my mother had on our kitchen wall in, in our house growing up. It was a text that was from Philippians 4, and it was framed, and it was via the Living Bible. And it said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank him for God's answers. I think that's a good way to center ourselves this morning as we go into this uh, continued sermon series that we're calling Soul Reset. Uh, We're mindful that Soul Reset was given to us by a book from Dr. Junius Dotson that is an excellent book and it has been a perfect study for us during this season of Lent. Each and every week we have given you a little card that has a centering word on it and then some instructions for the week. And this week, the card has at the top of it, feel, feel. And and most of the content on that card has to do with prayer. And and so uh, we hope that we can feel the prayers of others and that others can feel our prayers, right? As we engage in this spiritual practice that is the most important practice that we as Christians could possibly engage in because prayer centers everything. It centers the way we reach out to the world. It centers the way that we, uh, we, we reach out to God. It centers who we are in our Christian formation. And, and you know, prayer doesn't have to um, be in a certain way in a certain time. It does not have to necessarily be with your Bible open for an hour in the morning with a cup of coffee on the table. Prayer can happen while you're driving to work. Prayer can happen even while you're in the shower. Prayer can happen at any time that you're reminded that you need to talk to God and you need to listen to God and what God would have you hear. Here are some things that we want uh, to remind us of as we go forward this week. This is on the card. We want you to turn off your phone and sit in silence Centering your thoughts and your heart on God. Find a time to do that. Pray the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be talking more about the Lord's Prayer today in the worship service, in the sermon. And write a letter to God who is your friend. Share what is going on in your life, what you are excited about, what what is challenging to you, and what you are thankful for. Have you ever thought about writing a letter to God? And fast from food for either a day or maybe even just a meal. But in so fasting, in this act, you will be centering yourself on considering those hurt places in your life and ask God to bring you peace and healing. And listen to a song that brings you closer to Jesus. That song that we heard Brooke singing just a little while ago, that brought me close to Jesus, and I know it did many of you. Find such a song this week that you want to help center your prayer life. And use a breath prayer. As you inhale, say, Lord Jesus Christ, and as you exhale, say, have mercy on me. Feel. Have you ever heard the phrase, are you feeling it? Or maybe you've said, I'm just not feeling it. Prayer is at the heart of Christian life. And feeling it 
And, and understanding it brings meaning and purpose to life is the very essence of what we do when we pray. It's certainly one of the greatest Christ, uh, privileges that we have as Christians to be able to pray. It's like eating and drinking. Prayer is not something that's foreign to us. It's uh, the, the very center of our human nature. Prayer is perhaps the deepest impulse that we have of the human soul. Prayer is natural and it's universal. Prayer is part of our, um, our native environment or endowment as we have as a, an individual. And, and prayer is experienced by every culture. It's so essential and so part of who the human race is. And prayer is related to our search for meaning. Prayer is our longing for a relationship with God. It's our very conversation with God. And prayer, however practiced, is an expression of our hunger for God. And you know, that's where I want to go this morning to begin, to, to help us see that, that, that prayer is a deep-seated hunger that we as human beings have. Harry Emerson Fosdick, in contemplating the disciples requesting Jesus to teach them to pray, stresses in his book that was written a while back, The Secret of Victorious Living. And in this book, there is this statement. Note that the disciples' awakened interest in prayer came not at all from the new arguments about it, but from a new exhibition of its power. Here before their very eyes they saw a personality in whom prayer was vital and influential. The more they lived with Jesus, the more they saw that they could never explain him or understand him him unless they understood his praying and so not at all because of new arguments but because of amazing spiritual power released to him in prayer they wanted him to tell them how to pray now this morning I want us to think in terms of who Jesus was as one who prayed to Abba a very childlike word for a parent or for, or for a father like Poppy or Poppy. He, he prayed to his God in such a personal way. And, and what Jesus um, had as the center of his life, of course, was God's holy word and especially the Psalms when it came to prayer. Our centering Psalm this morning that we've already experienced in this act of worship is from the 42nd chapter of Psalms. And I'm going to read again the first two verses and think in terms of Jesus centering his life in the worship of prayer as a deer longs for flowing streams so my soul longs for you O God my soul thirsts for God for the living God when shall I come and behold the face of God 
I'd like for us to turn now, if you've got your Bibles at home, just pick it up and keep that Bible close by in these coming days as we enter this streaming form of worship. Or you can watch, this verse will uh, perhaps also appear on the screen. But from Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter, I want to read the first 10 verses. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus said, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Some years ago, Leonard Griffin was the pastor of the famous City Temple Church in London. And he wrote a book entitled Barriers of Christian Belief. And in that book, he dealt with some of the problems that, um, that we Christians or people uh, seeking faith have had for years. He dealt with these as real obstacles, as stumbling blocks, as barriers to the faith pilgrimage. And one of the barriers that he highlighted in the book was the barrier of unanswered prayer. He does seem to point out that, that the experience of unanswered prayer is often a barrier. and It often causes people to drop out of faith because they uh, just wonder, what's the use? and What is prayer about anyway? They're, they're not feeling it. And this leads for us this morning to ask some questions. Um, how do we pray? We sound like the disciples. When do we pray? Uh, we're inquiring of Jesus. Is there a special formula or a sacred language or a posture that we have to uh, assume in order to really pray? But perhaps the most important question we have this morning is why do we pray? I ask then, why do you pray? Uh, why do we pray at all? And the answer is because we have this hunger and nothing, absolutely nothing, can completely satisfy the hunger apart from God. It's a hunger to experience meaning. It's a hunger to experience purpose. 
It's this restless yearning that we have within us. It, it is beneath the surface. It's at the point of our deepest feelings is that need that we have to connect with God. Augustine, St. Augustine said it this way. For thee were we made, O God, and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. The truth is that we will always be restless, always know the hunger, because resting in God it has a limited duration, doesn't it? I mean, it's not like that most of us go through life completely in the presence of God from our standpoint. God's always there, but sometimes we stray away, right? We move in and we move out of trustful relationship with God. We have a bent toward self-reliance and independence that is part of our human nature. And yet we also have that bent of a need, a deep-seated hunger to be in relationship with God. And prayer feeds that hunger. You know, I, I think we can look at Jesus to see the perfect practices of prayer. And I want to lift up a few of those that you can see in his prayer life uh, throughout the Gospels, but centered on this Luke 11 chapter. Jesus took the time to pray. Jesus prayed regularly, and so can we. Jesus prayed regularly, and so can we. Jesus took the time to pray. He, he made it a vital part of his daily life. Often Jesus was with crowds. He was on stage. He was doing what he was called to do. And, 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 and it was sapping his energy at times. He knew when he needed to separate. He knew when he needed to establish that time away, that time in the wilderness or, or wherever the Lord was leading him to set apart and to make prayer that practice. But I also know that when we feel we're so busy in our schedules, you know, I know the experience of trying to meet deadlines and needing to go here and needing to go there and the many needs that press in. And you know those too. And sometimes what gets squeezed out of our lives is the very thing we need the most, the very essence of who we are, that hunger that we long for. Sometimes we squeeze out prayer. I want to remind us this morning that everything worthwhile takes time and regular disciplined time is so important. The musicians, the singers that we had up here today, uh, Jimmy playing, Cheryl playing, you, you know, that didn't just happen. It takes regular practice and committed time. And if we know that about um, the music that we sing or, or other things that we do, then we surely know it must be the case with prayer. Jesus knew that and he prayed regularly. And, and the second thing I'd like for us to note about the Jesus way of prayer is Jesus prayed sensibly and so can we. Now hear me on this. Jesus prayed with what I'm going to call this morning an intelligent common sense. Prayer was not some magical device to get his wishes. It was communication with God in a way that was so personal and intimate. 
You know, some years ago, I was reading an article in Sports Illustrated, and it has stuck in my mind. And though it was about Major League Baseball, it could be about nearly any sport that you think of today. And the way that, uh, that the faith is lived out on the screen related to sports. And this particular editor was, was writing about a pitcher who would pray to God, Lord, help me get him out. And then the player on the opposing team prayed a prayer to God, Lord, help me get a hit. With tongue firmly in cheek, the sports writer said, how confusing this must be to God when they face each other. Think about it. Is it a situation where one prayer wins over the other? The poet Longfellow said it well. What discord we should bring into the universe if all our prayers were answered. It gives me pain to hear the long, wearisome petitions asking for senseless things that, do not, that we do not really need. You know, how senseless to picture God is some kind of divine waiter who at our slightest whims rushes, rushes off into the heavenly kitchen and then runs back with a steaming portion of whatever we've ordered, right? <laughs> God is one who hears our deepest needs and concerns and, and wants to engage in, in, re, in relationship and communication with us that is meaningful and full of purpose. Prayer is not magic, Prayer is much more important, much more deep-seated, and accomplishes much more than sometimes we see in our prayer life that is not intelligent common sense. And thirdly, Jesus prayed confidently, and so can we. Jesus said, thy will be done. That was his prayer. That was the prayer that we not only see in the, 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 the lesson he gave to the disciples and here's how to pray, but it's also the lesson we see in him living out that prayer life in the Garden of Gethsemane. Thy will be done. It's a, a statement that has a confidence in who God is. God who is uh, good all the time and all the time God is good. A God who can always be trusted. A God who uh, knows us and a God who knows our needs better than we know them ourselves. This is a God who can be trusted. And when we pray, when we make our petitions to God, we, we best end by saying, And God, I trust you. I trust you with this. Thy will be done, and I want to be right in the middle of your will. I want to be doing the things that bring glory to you and peace to my soul. Somebody once described a prayer simply as a friendship with God. You know, several years ago now, um, I was diagnosed with a terminal form of cancer at the age of 26, and it was a traumatic time for my wife, Tammy, for our entire family, and we had a six-week-old baby son named Zachary. And what was surprising to me um, was though the, um, the diagnosis and prognosis was not good, 
what was worse was my prayer life. It, it caused me to be confused about prayer. It caused me to question prayer. I was seeing so many people at MD Anderson Hospital dealing with the same disease I had, being treated with the same experimental drug that I was treated with. And some of those were not getting well. And I, 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 I would ask myself the question, why would God heal some and not heal others? Lord, how do I pray? I'm so confused. I'd lost confidence in my prayer life. And I was so consumed with my own situation that I was not really looking to God. And I remember hearing Dr. William H. Henson, Bill Henson, my mentor, preach a sermon at First United Methodist Church in Houston where I was his, his pastor. I was there so needy that day. And he said this, I pray to a God who heals. Some of us are healed in such a way that we're going to have to wait till we get to heaven to know what really happened. And some of us are healed like the Apostle Paul was healed. He prayed to have that thorn in the flesh removed, but it never was removed. But he could say, God's grace is sufficient to supply all my needs Bill said, Paul was healed. Not cured of that thorn in the flesh, but healed. And then Bill said, and all of us are ultimately healed on the other side of the Jordan where we are given new bodies and where peace that passes understanding reigns. It was a miracle in the making. And the real miracle was when I could pray for myself with the confidence that no matter what, I was in the hands of a loving God. A God who had always taken care of me and who would take care of me now and into eternity. And resting in that calm assurance, I knew that I would be healed. Maybe not cured, I might succumb to my disease, but I'd be healed. And my family would be okay. That's the peace that passes understanding. That's the peace God wants to reign in our hearts where we can say, God, I'm in your hands. I'm in good hands. God, I trust your love for me. And whatever happens, Lord, you'll be right there. Some years ago, Leslie Weatherhead told a beautiful story about an elderly Scottish man who was quite ill the minister came to see the dying man and noticed an empty chair in the opposite, on the opposite side of the bed. And the chair was pulled up especially close to the bed. And the older man said, let me tell you about this chair. Many years ago, I found it quite difficult to pray. So one day, I shared this problem with my pastor. And he told me not to worry about kneeling or placing myself in some pious position or about speaking in some high-sounding words. Instead, he said, just sit down in the chair and place a chair in front of you and imagine God sitting in that empty chair. Full of God, you can pray and you can talk to God as a friend. The older man said, I've been doing that ever since. 
He said, even when I'm at a place where I can't find a chair, I imagine a chair in front of me and God sitting right there and me talking to my friend. Some days later, the daughter of this older man called the minister to tell him that her father had peacefully passed away in the night. And then she said, for some reason, his hand was on the empty chair on the other side of the bed. Isn't that strange? Oh, no, it's not strange at all, the minister said. I understand it perfectly. He was reaching out even in his last hours to his best friend, his God. You know, that's what prayer is about. That we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And we know that God is reaching out to us. It's reaching out to our friend. Jesus prayed regularly, sensibly, and confidently. May we also be such disciples that we can pray likewise. Amen.